I'm Liz Sauer, and this is Ghosts in the Burbs, a podcast of ghost stories from Wellesley, Massachusetts. A warning, adults who use adult language told me these frightening tales. These ghost stories aren't for kids. I'm Liz Sauer, and this is Ghosts in the Burbs, ghost story number five, The Family Home. I had two emails from people who wanted to share stories with me. One claimed that his house was haunted by its previous owner, and the other message came from a Wellesley College employee who wanted to share information about the college's underground tunnels. Both intrigued me, but after my past two experiences, I was hesitant. My little library flyer had generated more interest than I could have hoped for, but it seemed to be generating the wrong kind of interest. First Pam wanted to pawn off her haunted trinket, and then Laura and Michael thought I could phone up an exorcist for them. I felt guilty that I had somehow unintentionally misled all of them. My husband, who we'll call him C, disagreed and felt there was no need for guilt on my part. I warned you about kooks, he said. You shouldn't be meeting people in their homes, he said. Don't tell me their stories, I won't be able to sleep, and make sure some demon doesn't follow you home, he said. At the very least, I felt the need to tweak my flyer, so I did. I made it clear that I was an author looking to gather ghost stories from Wellesleyans about hauntings in Wellesley. I even put a disclaimer on the bottom of the page. Please note, I'm neither a ghost hunter nor a paranormal problem solver, just a curious neighbor who intends to document hauntings. I don't know, it was all I could come up with. I printed out a new flyer and posted it at the library. But I couldn't bring myself to respond to the responses it elicited. Around this time, I had my friend Lisa over so our kids could play together. She has two boys to my two girls, and the four entertain each other well. Over a glass of Chardonnay, it was a teeny tiny glass for me, and it was 4.43 in a late afternoon. Relax, everyone. I told her about my hesitation to continue my ghost research. You absolutely can't stop now. You've had such great traction. Listen, I have a neighbor. I just met her at our neighborhood progressive dinner. We'll discuss that in a moment. She's lived in her house since she was a little girl. She and her husband and their three kids moved in with their mother. I liked her. Cute, cute haircut, and she was wearing Lily. Pulitzer. She had me at hello, Lisa said with a laugh. Speaking of, I just walked through E.A. Davis. I'm stocking the new Elsa top, I said. Wait for the sale, Lisa replied. Anyway, this woman. I sat next to her at the dinner, and we totally hit it off. At the dessert house, they made blueberry pie. It was strange. I ran into Leslie. You know Leslie, right? President of the Bates PTO, the woman that organized that diaper drive last fall. Isn't she president of the Mother's Forum, too? I asked, sipping my wine. That's the one, Lisa affirmed. Anyway, Leslie grew up in Wellesley, and she told me that this woman I met, Jen, had some horrible thing happen in her family when they were growing up. Like a man broke in and attacked her, and then there were rumors that other strange things happened in her house. What kinds of things? I asked. Spooky things. Apparently, they nicknamed Jen Carrie in high school. Like Carrie is in Stephen King's Carrie? I asked. Yep. Leslie said Jen is open about it all now. She totally doesn't mind talking about it. Anyway, it made me curious. Nosy, I corrected. Sure, but I thought maybe if I told her about what you're doing, we could invite her over. Or better yet, have her invite us over, and she would tell us the story, Lisa said, draining her glass. Oh, I don't know. Sure you do. I'll arrange the whole thing, Lisa said with confidence and tapped her nails on the side of the glass. And she did. 
Somehow, Lisa managed to get Jen to invite us over to her house for cocktails and appetizers on a Thursday night in April. Enough time had passed since my last interview debacle with the Arnolds, so I had the nervous-slash-excited butterflies in my stomach at the prospect of hearing a creepy story. I was buckling my seatbelt in the driveway when I heard a ping from my cell phone. I looked down to see a text message from Lisa. Effing babysitter canceled just now, and Joe won't be home till nine. Shit, I thought. No, I texted. I know it sucks. Go without me and you can fill me in. But I don't even know her, I texted back. She's so nice. Seriously, go. Fine. Damn it all, I texted back. I confirmed the Boulder Brook address and texted an emoji of a middle finger to Lisa. She texted back the poop emoji. Ten minutes later, I pulled into Jen's driveway. Various bikes and sports equipment littered the front lawn. I took a deep breath and got out of the car thinking about how C had said I shouldn't be going into people's houses alone. But this was an acquaintance of Lisa, I reasoned, totally different. I climbed the steps to the front porch, which held Adirondack chairs and an off-kilter porch swing, and rang the doorbell. After a moment, I heard footsteps, and then the beep, beep, beep of an alarm system being disengaged. Two deadbolts and another lock clicked, and the door finally opened. Lisa was right. This girl was really cute with a cute haircut. Jen had naturally curly hair cut into a funky but perfect short layered bob. It was different shades of blonde and framed her heart-shaped face perfectly. She was wearing black leggings and an oversized sweater. Cute. Hi, she said in greeting. I didn't realize you were pregnant. I laughed. Is it that obvious? No, no, I just mean I have plenty to drink besides wine, she said. Well, frankly, a glass of wine sounds really good right now. Just a little one. Then I can have water. Did Lisa get in touch? I asked. Jen confirmed that she had. I followed her past the dining room into a great room at the back of the house. It was obviously a renovated addition to the home. A wall of paned windows overlooked a gorgeously landscaped backyard. Daylight was dimming, but I could still make out huge hydrangea bushes and other nice plantings, though I had no idea what they were. We chatted a bit about gardening. Don't worry, she had a landscaper, and she got excited when I asked if it was all right for me to record our conversation. The room was a combined kitchen and living room. The best way for me to describe the decor is if Pottery Barn and a high-end antique store had a love child and then named a Nantucket art gallery as its godmother. This home was that child. I never wanted to leave. Thank you for having me over, I said. I never want to leave. This room. This is my favorite room in the house, Jen replied. I can see why, I said. Lisa said that you've lived here your whole life. I have, yes, she replied. I moved out for college in Boston, where I met my husband, Mike, and after we had our second child, we moved in with my mom. It was supposed to be temporary until we could find our own place in town, but we all liked it so much, having mom with us and the neighborhood, that we built the addition and stayed put. How long have you guys been in town? Just about two years now. It was an adjustment to leave the city, but it grew on me. I like it now. Your neighborhood is so fun. Lisa told me about the progressive dinner, and I know you all have a block party in the summer, too. Yeah, there's always something going on. You have to book sitters way out in advance. We have a fun game night, too, she said. This triggered a memory slash thought. You don't know Nick Sayer, do you? I asked, thinking of the realtor with a Ouija board obsession. I do. His wife, Maeve, is one of my best friends, she said. No way. Small world. I spoke with her husband about a ghost story recently. Oh, geez, that. Yeah, the Ouija board. Maeve said it had become a problem, Jen said. So you were there the night everything began happening, I prompted. 
I was. I was really pissed, actually. Nick knows that I have an aversion to the paranormal, and he told us we were going to be playing Dirty Pictionary again. There it was again, this reference to Dirty Pictionary. Dare I ever ask? My husband, Maeve, and I refused to play, she went on. Obviously, it wasn't a good idea. No, definitely not, but then I can't imagine a Ouija board ever being a good idea, I said. Agreed, she agreed. Here, let's sit in the family room. Jen led the way into the gorgeous window-filled room. We sat on the most elegant sectional sofa I've ever seen. It was lime green, really, and it smelled nice. Not like some cloying air freshener, but just like fresh, clean. The throw pillows were like overstuffed clouds in navy and white. The view to the kitchen was warm and inviting. Jen tucked her legs underneath her as she nestled in the couch corner, and I did the same at the opposite end. Above us, a massive lantern chandelier hung from the peaked ceiling and softly lit the room around us. I'll say it again, I said, eyeing the cheese platter set before us on the glass coffee table. I never want to leave. Jen dipped a pita chip in spinach and artichoke dip. I knew that my entire body would be puffy the next morning from all the sodium, but I followed suit. So you're the ghost lady I've been hearing so much about, she said. You don't seem too strange. I was sort of expecting someone with butt-length stringy hair and a long patchwork skirt. Wine almost shot out of my nose as I stifled a laugh and took a sip at the same time. I liked this woman. Yeah, well, sorry to disappoint. It's something I've always been drawn to. I love being scared. Have you ever really been scared? She asked without a hint of a smile. No, I said and paused, realizing my faux pas. From the little bit I've heard about her past, I knew that she was no stranger to fear. Well, that's why you're drawn to it. You're able to romanticize it. Trust me, once you experience it, fear, real fear, is devoid of allure and mystery. It's the opposite of that. It's all circular thinking and what-ifs. She paused, taking a bite of a baby carrot. And repulsion, she continued. I'm sorry, I feel like a jerk. Lisa told me you had a ghost story, but she also told me you had a break-in. No, don't be sorry. I'm excited that you're here. I'm expecting you to interview me so I can tell you my story. That's why you're here, right? That's why you have a digital recorder, she giggled. Something about the device seemed to amuse her. Trust me, I'm an open book. I can't tell you how much I appreciate this, I said. I sort of wish I was just here to chat about the kids and clothes and gossip. Next time, she said with a laugh. Okay, well, start it off. Where does your ghost story begin? Well, actually, I need to go back a bit before I can tell you about the ghost, because without what happened before that, I don't think there ever would have been a ghost. Okay, I said, stuffing a slice of brie into my mouth. I was in that pregnancy sweet spot where flavors just burst and happiness hormones shushed the voice whispering, post-pregnancy wait. I was ready to just let her tell her story while I dug into the cheese platter. A man broke into our home when I was 14, she began. We were in the dining room with my mom, and he came to the door. I remember watching him walk up the front steps, wondering who he was. It was late afternoon, and my brother Peter and I were doing homework in the dining room. I heard my mom open the door and say hello, and the next thing you knew, that man was dragging her into the dining room with a knife to her throat. My God, I said, glancing through the kitchen to the front door. Peter got up and yelled, and I just sat there, completely frozen. It was like I couldn't believe what I was seeing. The guy, he was wearing this utility belt like he was from the electric company or something, and he had duct tape in it and more knives. He taped Peter to his chair first and then me and taped our mouths closed. Then he sat my mom down across the table from us, taped her up, 
but not her mouth. He said he'd come to save us, that he was just in time. He stood behind my mom with a knife to her neck and went on and on about an angel named Delilah had been visiting him at night and that it was his destiny to save families from this present darkness. What? I said. He explained why he had to kill us. It was all this crazed religious nonsense. It was surreal. A moment before we had been doing homework, and now this madman was talking about how an angel told him that if he could deliver us to her, she would save us from the darkness and deliver us to the light. My mom tried to reason with him, but he would just scream into her ear, Get thee behind me, Satan! Holy fuck, I said. He was a lunatic. He would get very quiet, almost whispering, and then shout the rest of the sentence. He was batshit crazy. What the hell were you thinking during all this? I asked. I was panic-stricken about my mother, of course, but my brother was only nine. He was sobbing, and I could see through the tape that he was saying, Mommy, over and over. Oh, my God, I say, horrified and sad and scared and angry all at once. It was awful. The man stopped talking after a while and was pacing behind my mother. He was quoting scripture and holding the knife in front of him with both hands like a caroler holding a candle. We could all sense that he was getting ready to kill us. Something came over me. It was like it shoved the panic part of me into a closet in my mind and the calm took over. The man hadn't closed the front curtains. I had been hoping the whole time that someone would see what was happening from the road. I could tell he was almost done psyching himself up. So I started screaming as best I could through my tape. Me first, me first, over and over. He was at my side in a second. He smelled like moldy laundry and peppermint gum. She shudders. He ripped the tape off my mouth and whispered for me to repeat myself. Me first, I said again after catching my breath. I want Delilah to bring me to heaven first. My mom, of course, screamed no through her tape, but I figured that I could buy us some time if I acted like I believed him. My dad usually got home from work around 5.30. I didn't know what time it was, but it was getting close. What did he do when he volunteered to go first? He dropped to his knees and started thanking every saint you've ever heard of. Then he said I could choose. I didn't know what he meant. He leaned next to my ear and I felt his incredibly hot breath on me and he whispered, choose how? And I knew. He wanted me to tell him how to kill me. What in the fuck? I said. What in the fuck? I thought again. As I was trying to decide what I should say, he walked over to my mother and slapped her across the back of the head, hard. She was getting hysterical, and my brother was sobbing and shaking his head back and forth. I tried to calm him down, but the man screamed, Choose! So I did. Drowning, I told him. I figured I'd have the best shot. I mean, how was he going to manage that? He said some more whacked-out prayers and then cut off the rest of my duct tape with a knife and dragged me into the kitchen. I was looking everywhere for some kind of weapon, but he taped my hands behind my back and then put the stopper in the kitchen sink and began filling it with water. He shoved me in front of the sink, and I struggled as hard as I could, but he was much stronger than me. He shoved my head under the water, and I struggled and held my breath for as long as I could, but eventually I couldn't hold it anymore, and I breathed in. It was like knives, like a million little needles and knives, and then it was just nothing. My lord, how did you survive? While the guy was doing this, my dad came home, fifteen minutes early, he saw my mom and brother through the dining room windows, so he came in quietly, and they were able to motion with their heads towards the kitchen. My dad snuck up behind the man and hit him over the head with a glass fruit bowl, knocked him out cold. 
Then he got the tape off my mom so she could call 911 and gave me mouth-to-mouth -mouth resuscitation until the paramedics arrived. They all thought I was dead, even the paramedics. My mom said that they admitted afterwards that they had only tried to revive me for my parents' sake. They didn't think there was any chance I could survive. Said it was a miracle. Thank God, I said, needing another glass of Chardonnay and mentally kicking myself for being pregnant. Honestly, I just came to, and they told me that when I stopped coughing, I said Delilah, but I don't remember that at all. Who was the man, I asked. A guy that had worked in the local hardware store. My dad actually recognized him. What did he look like, I asked. I'm picturing a massive hillbilly. Oh, no, not at all, she said. He looked exactly like Michael J. Fox. No, I said, incredulous. Yes. To this day, I can't watch anything that he's in. The resemblance is almost unnatural. I looked at her for a moment, mourning the fact that she had missed watching the Frighteners. I don't even know what to say. I'm so sorry that happened to you and your family. How do you get past something like that? Everyone handled it differently. My mom had to go away for a little bit. My dad got paranoid. My brother was fearful. He slept on the floor of my room until he went away to college. What about you? I asked. I was able to close it in a box in my mind. My mom went for help, and my dad was worried about her and hovering around, but so panicked that he wasn't really present. And someone had to watch over Peter, get him to school in the morning, make him dinner, and talk him through his nightmares. Forgive me, but that doesn't sound like something anyone could keep up for very long. Everyone has to vent, especially terror like that, I said. Yeah, well, I guess you could say it came out another way, she said. The ghost, I guessed ghost, she confirmed, standing up and walking to the kitchen. Can I get you anything? I'm going to grab another glass of wine if you don't mind. Want a seltzer water? Seltzer water would be great, thanks, but I'm jealous, I replied. I hated giving up wine when I was pregnant, she said over her shoulder. My husband was crazy about it. He was obsessed with everything that I put in my mouth, all three pregnancies. I couldn't wait to get my body back to myself. How old are your kids, I asked. My oldest, Emma, is in fourth grade. Then Sophia is in second, and our baby Jackson is in kindergarten. Oh, how sweet, I said, so they're all in the same school. Yes, we're a true Bates family, she said, referring to the neighborhood elementary school. Where are you in town? Adults in this town identified with their neighborhood elementary school, like sports fans bragging about a team they weren't on. We're over in the Hills area. The girls will go to Schofield, I replied. Oh, she said, returning to the couch and handing me a seltzer water. I have a few friends from the Mother's Forum whose kids are in Schofield. Oh, I said, sipping my water. She didn't offer any further explanation. So I said, you're about to tell me about your ghost. My ghost, she said with a smile. Do you know what a poltergeist is? Shit, I did know what a poltergeist was. The real kind of poltergeist, not the they're here kind of ghost. The kind of ghost that attaches to a person, an entity energized by pent-up emotion, unwittingly set free to wreak havoc on a family. These ghosties were a thing of levitating beds, broken dishes, screams and voices and bumps in the night. And then one day, out of nowhere, the terror ends, leaving a family shaken and paranoid, broken. Jen had already scared the hell out of me with her home invasion story. How much darker could this woman's life get? I spent my own teenage years reading tales of adolescents terrorized by this phenomena. I knew that the entities were unconsciously created by a person with unreleased negative emotions, a person who contained their feelings to the extreme, 
Jen's attack and the resulting family dynamic was the perfect recipe for one of these so-called noisy ghosts. I took another sip of my water before answering. They're sort of mischievous ghosts, right? They like to attach to a person and haunt them. Exactly, she confirmed. About six months after the man broke into our house, strange things began to happen. Like what? I asked, not really wanting to know. At first it was all electrical. Fuses would short out, the radio would turn on by itself to a station that no one in the house listened to, lights would flicker. It was just an annoyance, but one that could be reasoned away. Then the taps started up. Shivers. Taps? I called them taps, but it sounded more like pennies being dropped into a coffee can. At night, right around the same time every night, it would wake us all up. Three taps, over and over again, for about twenty minutes. We searched the house, all of us, and couldn't find the cause. Text in brackets. A man's voice whispers, It was me. End brackets. Eventually, we just ignored it, Jen shrugged. And then, I prompted, Then one night, after the taps had woken me up, I was reading and trying to noise the, ignore the noise and fall back to sleep. I must have dozed off because I opened my eyes and the book that I had been reading was hovering over me. I reached for it, like as a reflex. I wasn't completely awake yet, and the second I lifted my arm up, the book dropped onto my stomach. Uh-uh, I said, needing to use the bathroom but unwilling to leave the room by myself. I didn't tell anyone about that. I had Peter sleeping on the floor in my room, and he was freaked out enough as it was. But then things began to break, like at breakfast. Peter and I would be at the table eating cereal and talking, and the glass pitcher of milk just cracked and fell apart. We were sitting right there. My dad, of course, got mad and thought that we had done something to it, but we hadn't. Text in brackets. Man's voice. Ha ha. And brackets. Other things, too. I was doing homework in my room one night at my desk, which sat underneath the window. I was looking down and heard a creaking and looked up to see the window pane all spidered and cracked. Eventually, every mirror in the house had cracks in it. My dad was so upset, thought we were acting out, especially me. He wanted things to be calm and normal for my mom. She'd spent some time in the hospital after the attacks to rest her mind, and he didn't want anything to upset her. But then the voice came, and he started to believe me and my brother. What did the voice say? I asked, holding my breath. It said different things to all of us. I mean, I don't know that it ever spoke to my mother, but it would whisper to Peter when he was alone. He couldn't understand what it said, and he made sure he wasn't alone if he could help it. It would yell at my dad. Like if he was shaving or getting clothes out of the closet, it would yell right in his ear. Hey! Text in brackets. Man's voice. Hey! And brackets. Once it screamed, big man, at him. But what did it say to you, I asked, goosebumps running up and down my body. A lot of the time it was just nonsense, like dates and names, numbers. Then other times it would try to have a conversation with me, and it would ask me questions, but I just ignored it. What kind of questions, I asked. Um, I don't know. Things like, what do you believe now, Jennifer? And... How does it feel to drown, Jennifer? What the fuck? I demanded. That is just too much. How'd you not lose your mind? 
I don't know. I really think it was because I couldn't lose my mind. I was the only one in the house keeping things from falling apart. She took a sip of her wine. It was absolute insanity, though. Everyday tasks became impossible. I'd get something out of the refrigerator to eat, turn my back for a moment to grab a plate, and the food would be gone. I'd find it back in the refrigerator. Glasses were cracked just as you were pouring juice into them, and the tapping lasted for longer and longer each night. It got to the point where I was even hearing it in my dreams. I think the worst thing that it did was in school, though, she says, her face filled with sadness. It followed you to school? No way. Jen nods her head and takes a big gulp of wine before continuing. I was sitting at my desk in math class, and all of a sudden this girl behind me starts screaming. I turn around, she's pointing my hair, yelling, Something lifted up her hair. What's wrong with her? What? I said, confused. What was she talking about? She said she saw my hair just lift up off my shoulders and hover in the air. I hadn't felt anything, but from her reaction and knowing everything that was happening at home, I believed her. And so did everyone else. Text in brackets, man voice, and a growl. Belief. End brackets. Jen sighs. That is awful, I say, picturing the scene it must have caused in her classroom. Yeah, that little experience earned me the nickname Carrie for the rest of high school. Well, actually, even today, when I run into old classmates in town, I see them catch themselves before they say, Hi, Carrie. She gives a little laugh. Awful, I say again. It was. I mean, there were already enough stories going around about me and my family after the break-in. Now I was cast as a complete freak show. Luckily, there were two girls that I'd grown up with. Maeve is one of them, who stood by me. I wouldn't have made it without them. How long did all this go on for? I asked, meaning the haunting. Only about, I don't know, a little over a month? she said, draining her glass. I woke up one night and there was something above me on the ceiling. It was huge and black, and its body, if you can call it that, sort of moved constantly, like it was thick liquid. The voice started up, saying, I'm here. You're here. We're both here, Jennifer. We're here together, Jennifer. Hell no, I said. I screamed at it, told it to go away that I'd had enough, that it was ruining my life. I squeezed my eyes shut and screamed, you're not real, you've never been real. Of course, Peter just hid beneath his blankets, but my dad woke up from my screaming and ran into the room. When I opened my eyes, it was gone. The next morning, everything stopped. We were on pins and needles, waiting for it to come back, but it didn't, she said. Holy hell, I said, shaking my head. And that was it? Nothing else? I asked. Yeah, that was it, but you know, actually, every once in a while, I text in brackets, man's voice, shh, here, end brackets. She was cut off by the sound of locks clicking, the front door opening, and the shrill beeping of the alarm. We both froze. Jennifer, a woman's voice called out. Then we heard more beeping as the alarm was disengaged. Jen and I looked at each other and laughed in relief. In here, Mom, Jen called to the woman. A small woman walked into the kitchen and placed a large bag on the counter. I was pretty sure it was Chanel. I stood up and introduced myself, and just like her daughter, she greeted me with, You're pregnant! 
We all took a minute to laugh at that, and I agreed that I was indeed pregnant, and Jen introduced me. Liz, this is my mom, Nancy. Mom, this is Liz, Jen said. When are you due? Nancy asked and turned her back to us to begin rifling through a kitchen drawer. In August, I replied. Ah, here's one, she said, grabbing something out of the drawer. Here you go. Keep this in your pocket, or better yet, put it on a chain around your neck. She pressed something small into my palm. I looked down and saw a St. Benedict medal. Are you Catholic? she asked. Mom, said Jen. I was raised Catholic, now I'm just a Christian, I replied. Oh, you'll come back to us. Life will bring you back, she said with a knowing smile. Mom, Jen said again. I said, this is so sweet, thank you. Are you sure you want to give this to me? Of course, I have more, Nancy replied and plopped down in an armchair. She buys them in bulk and has our priest bless them, Jen said with a little eye roll. It's our best protection, her mom said pointedly. Then, now what were you girls gossiping about? Liz is collecting ghost stories, Jen says, with what I notice is a little gleam in her eye. Ghost stories? Nancy asks, well, sort of demands. She was interested in our experience. She's a writer, Jen replies, munching on a cracker. Nancy said, you really shouldn't go looking for the darkness, dear. It's best to leave it be. Nothing good ever comes from talking about it. Not talking about it is what led to the problem, Jen says with forced cheer. Nancy opens her mouth to reply, and the light flickers above us. No, it doesn't. Just flicker. It's like the light grows brighter for a moment and then dims down and comes back to normal. All three of us stare at the light picture for a moment. I want to get the hell out of there. Text in brackets. At this point on the digital recorder, there's an electrical interference. A fuzzy white noise comes through as we are all silent. End brackets. Nancy's the first to speak. It's getting awfully late for a school night. Where are the kids? Jen takes a moment to answer her mother. Mike brought them to the local for dinner. I'm sure they stopped for ice cream afterwards. I grab my recorder off the table and say, You know, speaking of kids, my oldest is taken to waking up at four in the morning, so I should probably call it a night. We all stand up and head to the door. Jen tells me how nice it was to meet me and chat, and I thank her for sharing her story and say we should grab dinner with Lisa soon. Nancy trails behind us, her arms crossed over her chest. Jen disengages the alarm and unlocks the deadbolts, and I cross the threshold. Once on the porch, I turn back and thank Nancy for the St. Benedict medal. I realize I'd been clutching it in my hand. Wear it around your neck, dear, she says. I agree to, and look toward Jen and say goodbye. The look on her face stops me. Just for a moment, she looks almost disgusted. Angry, no, rageful. Then it's gone, and she's smiling at me. I walk toward my car and hear the locks clicking away behind me, the beep-beep-beep of the alarm promising safety. I start my car, hoping that I could make it home without wetting my pants and wondering whether Jen's security system was meant to keep others out or to hold something in. Endnote. Text read in brackets was not audible by the author during the interview, it was heard upon playback and audio transcription.
this has been Ghosts in the Burbs. For more Wellesley Ghost stories, go to ghostsintheburbs.wordpress.com or follow me on Twitter where I curate haunted home tales. I'm at Ghost in the Burbs. That's at Ghost, no S, in the Burbs on Twitter. Good night, sleep tight, and don't forget your nightlight.